Father, we do come to you as children. And uh, Father, we pray that as we come to this time where we just sit and, and listen to your word, uh, myself included, Father, we pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear, humility to, to listen and consider. Father, we pray that the Spirit would lead us and change us by your word. Father, I pray that um, as your children that we would, uh, we would honor you just in, 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 in our spirit towards you. So God, we just thank you for the opportunity, the freedom to worship. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can open your word here in a public place, read it together, consider what it says to us and how it changes and transforms our lives. We thank you for Jesus who made all that possible. Sacrifice that you made in sending him as your one and only son for us. Father, keep that close to us today. As we open your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, if, uh, if number one, if you're new with us or if this is uh, one of your first times, uh, we, we want to encourage you to download the YouVersion Bible app. We put all of our sermon notes in there. And uh, it's, just, it's just a handy tool. We're, uh, actually, at the end of today's sermon, we're going to have an opportunity to um, read through the book of Proverbs together over the next month. And, uh, and so, hey, some technology, technology is, is not good or bad. It's how we use it, and we want to use it, uh, man, to, to further what Christ is doing in our lives. So uh, Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to be, and I want to encourage you to find that, uh, whether that's in your uh, digital Bible and or your physical Bible. We've been, uh, we've been going through the book of Romans this year, and so um, I've encouraged this a couple times. If you've, if you've never read from a physical Bible, and yes, there are people, like some of you older folks are like, what? Yes, there are people who have never read from a physical Bible. If you've never done that, I'd encourage you, to, as we go through Romans this year, to, to get one of those and do that. And this summer, we're kind of walking through several of the chapters that uh, maybe we aren't doing uh, longer series on, things like that. And so today, we're in Romans chapter 7. And uh, it's also Father's Day, right? And so uh, I, would be, uh, I would be in the wrong to not celebrate... Uh, I think our newest father in the church family, and so uh, we we are so excited for our associate pastor Kenny. <clears throat> I told him that he would have to you know go without pay since he wasn't going to be here today. So no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kenny and Megan, and uh, and now baby Laney. So baby Laney came Friday morning, and uh, everyone is doing well. So uh, we're excited for him. Uh, I'm sure as his shirt suggests, he'll be a, a super dad. So, um, all right, so it is Father's Day. Here's what I want us to do, because I just like to do things that make everybody a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, I want you to ask the guy closest to you, maybe they're a dad, maybe they're not, what is the household chore that overwhelms you the most? All right, ask the guys around you, 30 seconds, go. What's the household chore that overwhelms you most? litter box <laughs> all right all right there's so many 
<laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. We've got we to get this under control. I'm worried. I'm worried. All right. Let's bring it in. Bring it in, folks. Welcome to Christ Community, if you've never been here before. Um, this row is just out of control. I heard litter box. I heard there's just too many. Uh, the, yeah, the, those two. Somebody separate them. We got, we got to, man, this, this is rough. All right, so, um, all right, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing off my game a little bit here. Whew, okay, so for me, for me, the household chore that overwhelms me the most, um, and it's, it's my household chore, right? So we have chores divvied up at our house, and it is my chore, and I do it with great joy and pleasure and I, as I serve my family, but laundry is, it, it is an overwhelming task. And um, I was inspired this week by a dad mom, and uh, I'd like to share his inspirational story with you. We've got a short video here. Dad mom, uh, hey, there is no judgment for real if we have any dad moms in the room. In fact, there's major props. Uh, but it's just fun to think about that, right? And, and so for me, laundry, it's, it's on my task. It's, it's something I do lovingly. But there was a moment that I realized that laundry wasn't something that I do. It wasn't just something I do, but rather it was something that was undermining and taking control of my life. There were two things. One was looking over to the side and seeing the growing laundry basket of socks that didn't have a match. And I realized that this was something that I, I couldn't get control of. That, you know, there, there was no cure for the unmatched socks. But the one that really gets me is when you're folding a piece of laundry and you realize that you've not seen anyone in your family wear that piece of laundry ever. But you've now folded it about six times. And you're like, how does this happen? How does laundry go through the laundry cycle multiple times without ever being worn or used? It's those two things that made me realize that laundry wasn't just something I do, but it was something that was beginning to control my life. It was something that was undermining and, and seeping into the cracks of everything that I did. And uh, yeah, so you can pray for me in that struggle, please. Believe it or not, I think that same struggle is a struggle that Paul speaks to uh, here in Romans chapter 7. But he does it in relation to the idea of sin. Sin, like laundry, isn't something that you do. It's something that's overtaken you. Sin isn't something you do, it's something that has overtaken you. And, and Paul, he begins to address this idea as he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 7. And, and he really, like, this is, you know, we, we sometimes read the Bible and we forget that, like, real people wrote it to real people. And when we begin into, to get into Romans 7, we're going to begin to see this guy, Paul, who is a hero of the faith, who wrote most of the New Testament, really begin to lay out in front of his readers the fact that he had real struggles, too. The fact that he saw that sin wasn't something that he just did, but it was something that, just like everyone else, had undermined his life, had, had really taken him hostage. And so we're just going to begin to walk through some of these verses together and begin to consider how it impacts and affects our life. So Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Paul says this, Since I'm speaking to those who know the law, well, 
I want to stop us right there because I want to make sure that we're speaking to a group that knows the law. What, what is the law when they, when they say that? Well, if Paul's writing this to a Roman context, uh, yes, it's like all of the Old Testament law and rules, but all of that boiled, boiled back down to and came down to the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on the mountain and, and that many of us are familiar with, even if maybe you've never been to church before. Something cool about this is that right now in Community Kids, uh, they're in the middle. There, there's a, like, it's a VBS month. They're doing a, a special step into my shoes thing. But they were doing, uh, over the course of the year, this thing called New City Catechisms. And they've been learning the Ten Commandments. They've been learning some of the Ten Commandments, the, the law. And, and so those Ten Commandments, that's the law that, that Paul is referencing. And he says to the Romans, since I'm speaking to those who know the law, you know the Ten Commandments, brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? And then he goes on in verses 2 and 3, and he, he gives us a first example that, that many of us can relate to. He says, for example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding the husband. And so then, if she's married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband, is, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And then, if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. This is like the simple law of monogamy, right? If you're married, you can't get married to someone else. Everyone understands this law. It's kind of Paul's insinuation. Uh, as long as they're living, you know, the law is ruling over you. He goes on, verses 4 and 5. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. I'm like, yeah, take the hill. That's good news. I'm in for that. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. Oh, I'm not as in for that. I don't want to know the bad things that I've done. I don't want the law to show me where I've failed. I just want to be for Jesus. You see the tension there? So Paul puts this tension on full display. He says, here's the tension that all of us are living with. We have the law. We know what the law is. Like, even those of us who've never been in church, we kind of have an idea of what the law says. Like, the Ten Commandments have been playing in our culture. We know what's right and what's wrong. We have this law that's, that's binding over us, that's hanging over us, and yet we know that we have this incredible gift of grace in Christ, and, and like, we live in this tension of law and grace and law and grace. And so Paul develops this line of thought. And if we jump ahead in the chapter, he is willing to, to flesh out how it impacts his life. Look down at verse 15 and following with me. This is Paul. He says, I don't understand what I'm doing because I don't practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Anybody been there? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. And so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Sin isn't something we do. It's something that has overtaken us. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want... I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. Sin isn't something we do. 
It's something that has overtaken us. You see, it's not that we occasionally drink too much. It's that sin has consumed our thoughts and, and pushed us to, to long for and desire and escape. And we act on that. It's not that we tell some white lies to make sure that the job gets done. It's that sin has told us that we have to manipulate people and the situation to stay in control. And then we acted on it. It's not that we lust after someone. It's that sin has told us that we deserve to be sexually gratified. And then we act on it. It's not that we waste our money. It's that sin has told us that we need more of it before we ever spend it and we begin to act on it. Sin isn't something you do. It's something that's overtaken you. And when we begin to think of sin as simply something we do, what we're doing is we're not giving Satan nearly enough credit. We underestimate our opponent. We wrongly believe that we are in control, that we can handle this. This morning I walked outside and there were storms last night, right? And uh, our trash cans had been blown over in the storm. I love when God does this, like he gives you a sermon illustration the morning after, like, oh yeah, we're working that in. And I look, and all my trash is spewed out in the driveway, right, where the trash can has fallen. And I'm like, man, we did everything right. We threw our trash in the trash can, which at our house with little kids is a big deal. It got in the bag. The bag got to the trash can outside. Like, everything, like, we were golden. We thought we had our trash under control. And then a storm came. A storm came and all of our trash was spread out in our driveway for everyone to see. Isn't sin that way sometimes? Sin isn't something you do. It's something that's overtaken you. Lewis Sperry Chafer said this, Sin is a restless unwillingness on the part of the creature to abide in the sphere and limitation in which the Creator, guided by infinite wisdom, had placed him. Now that's really wordy, but it's really good. Sin is this unwillingness, like restlessly unwilling to just live within the bounds that our Creator God has given to us. And they're big, big bounds and boundaries. Sin isn't something you do, it's something that has overtaken you. So what are we to do? Right? Like, this seems hopeless. When you begin to realize that it's, it's not the little white lies that, are like, that all encompass our sin, when it's not the things that we do, but, but sin is actually working and weaving its way into the nooks and crannies of your heart and your mind and your soul, like sin is overtaking you. It's the sock that keeps showing up in the laundry even though nobody can wear it anymore. Like, sin is, like, what do we do? This is hopeless. The storms of life are spilling our trash out in our driveways. Like, it leaves us feeling gross and incapable. And even Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is willing to write and bear his soul here in Romans 7 and say, listen, I'm, I'm dealing with this tension because the good that I want to do, I don't do. But Paul also knew the good news. That Jesus rescues you from what's wrecking you. Jesus rescues you from what's wrecking you. Verse 24 and 25, Paul writes, What a wretched man I am. <laughs> what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. I want you to notice, he says, like the tension remains, right? Like in my flesh, I'm still serving this law of sin, but in my mind, I'm serving the creator God who sent his son Jesus to rescue me from the things that are wrecking me. There's a tension there. The sin that you underestimate, Jesus eliminates. He's rescuing you from these things. And so we need to think about what these two verses, 24 and 25, we need to think about the realities that they, that they set in front of us. If we're wrestling with the law of sin, what does that mean? It means that we must recognize that our flesh craves sin. It craves sin, it's, and that sin is wrecking our lives, whether we recognize it or not. Your earthly self craves sin like I crave a hot Krispy Kreme donut when the light's on. Like it just wants it. There is no driving by the hot and ready light. Sin craves. Your flesh craves the sin. But if I gave in to my Krispy Kreme craving every time, every time, I would weigh several hundred pounds. I would lose the ability to walk. I would develop diabetes. Every time, if I did it every time, it would be bad. Eventually, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I really love to do. You see, we, we must not underestimate sin. Because what we, what we learn is that our flesh craves sin. And, and the sin that our flesh craves, I like to say that it has legs. It has legs. It begins to walk all over us. So, so what do I mean by legs? I got a little bit of teacher in me, so this is a cheesy acronym, but I bet you don't forget. All right? Number one, sin begins with a lack of peace. A lack of peace. Isaiah 57, verses 20 and 21 says this, But the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its water churns up mire and muck. There is no peace for the wicked, says my God. You know, all of us, because of the law, because of the law, we know when there's that lack of peace, when things aren't quite right, there's a lack of peace. It begins there. But it moves on to being enslaved to repetitive sins. Enslaved to repetitive sins. How many have spent seasons here? There isn't any peace. You know the, the things that you're doing that you don't like, but you can't seem to get away from them. Proverbs 5.22 reminds us, the wisdom of God, that, that, that like, that's how it's going to be with sin. A wicked man's iniquities will trap him. He will become tangled in the ropes of his own sin. This is what happens because of our flesh. We lack peace, and then we become enslaved to repetitive sins. And then when we can't seem to get ourselves out of that cycle, this nasty little word called guilt creeps in. Why can't I get myself out of this cycle? Why can't I stop doing this? The tension that Paul describes in verses 15 through 20 becomes real in our lives. Ezra 9.6 puts it this way. And I said, my God, I'm ashamed I'm embarrassed to lift my face towards you, my God. Because our iniquities are higher than our heads and our guilt is as high as the heavens. There's nothing more painful than to watch as someone is stuck in their guilt. 
wallowing in the weight of their sin. Sin creeping in, taking legs, beginning to walk all over us, leading finally to separation. You know, when we felt guilty for long enough, we just began to give up. We began to feel like God's not there. We began to avoid God because of our embarrassment. Maybe you're here today. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities are separating you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Nobody likes to talk about this. But you must recognize that there is a fleshly part of you that is going to crave sin as long as you live. It's going to want the Krispy Kreme donut as long as you live. Caitlin got me a dozen donuts. Actually, I should back up. Caitlin got us as a family yesterday for Father's Day a dozen donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. This morning she says, I think there's one donut left if you want to take it with you to church. That was supposed to go for both mornings. I only had six. <laughs> it's a real struggle, okay? Like this, is a, this is an honest illustration. It's not just using Krispy Kremes. You have to recognize that there's a fleshly part of you that's going to crave sin. It's going to continue to return and, and to, to live in that repetition, being enslaved to sins, ultimately leading to guilt and separation from God. JFK, John F. Kennedy said in a presidential speech, he, he attributed, there's some debate as to who this quote comes from, but he said this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And how many of us take that attitude in our sin? I'm a pretty good person. We must do something. But what? We go back to verses 24 and 25 of Romans 7. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God. We begin to battle back against sin with our mind. You need, you must, it is mission critical that you decide to give your heart and your life to Jesus. Because to do nothing is to concede the win to sin. To do nothing is to say, you know what, I don't care. It, it's to allow evil to slowly creep in and eventually overtake you. But how? What does it look like to battle back with your mind? Paul is suggesting here in Romans 7 that we have to change how we think about the law. The law isn't a burden. It's, it's not bad. Yes, it shows us how we fail, but it's not bad. And at the same time, it can't save us if we follow it to a T. We have to avoid these extremes when we think about the law. So how should we think about the law in a way that helps us battle back against sin with our minds? Read with me, if you would, from Romans 7, beginning in verse 6 through verse 14. Paul writes, But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us. He's writing to believers here. So that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. Here's where he's changing their thinking. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, don't covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again, and I died. 
The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. And so then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. And therefore, did what is good become death to me? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave of sin. What does that mean? Let's try to simplify that so that we can take it with us in our backpacks as we go outside with Jesus. Right? So, here in America, look at this great flag. It's amazing. Look at that. Here in America, we think of the law equaling freedom. Right? The law is what protects our freedom, it's what gives us freedom. That's in America. That is not how God's kingdom works. What Paul says, the right thinking that we need to have about the law, is that the law shows us where we fail. The law shows us where we fail. And you're like, why, then why is it good? Like, why would I want that? Because when we know where we fail, we then know how we can move forward. You may have been told by me at some point, you may have heard me say, fail forward. This is what I'm talking about. I want you to think about, uh, maybe you've seen a video where you've got an off-roading Jeep, and they're like going through some crazy whatever, and they get stuck. When a vehicle gets stuck, what do they do to keep moving forward? Well, they've got to find the tire that's spinning. They've got to figure out where they're failing, and they've got to change that so that they can go ahead and keep moving forward. We must do the same thing, and that is what the law helps us to do. The law isn't to set you free. It's to show you where you fail. And when you know where you fail, you find that that is the thing that moves you forward. Like, what does that have to do with my life? What about all those times that you've been stuck spiritually? It just seems like nothing has happened. There's likely sin that's keeping you there. There's likely something that, that you haven't given over to Christ. There's likely something that, that the law is trying to show you about yourself that will help you to move forward. Paul sums it up this way in verses 21 through 23. He says, So I discover this law, that when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So we've talked a lot about this tension, right, of sin, self, and Jesus, and his grace. We can fight back with our minds as much as we want, and we must, but ultimately we will grow weary of battling if we don't call in our mighty warrior. We must call on the one who rescues us, from what's wrecking us. We must call on the one who eliminates the sin that we underestimate and sometimes don't even know is there. We must rely on the one who died to save us from those things. And so here's the trick. 
You have to stop attacking the sin and start attaching yourself to the Savior. Stop attacking the sin and start attaching yourself to the Savior. So often we become so focused, right? Like, okay, now that I know my sin, it's like all I can think about. But you and I have this great grace and that God only gave us so much time in a day and only so much energy to use. And Jesus is so good that he protects us from ourselves by placing these limits on us. And so if we can figure out how to use our time and our energy to chase after and delight in Jesus, if we can figure out how to attach ourselves to him with all of our heart and all of our mind, all of our soul and all of our strength, then he begins to eliminate the sin that is living in our lives. You see, it's not even for us to try and defeat it because we can't. Yes, we want to eliminate sin. Yes, we want our lives to look different, but we don't go about that by trying to attack sin on our own. We win by attaching ourselves to the only one who can, to the one who's already defeated sin and death, to the one who is rescuing you from what wrecks you. So I want to give you three super practical ways to attack, uh, to attach yourself to Jesus this week, and then I'm done. Number one, if you have not done what you saw in Gabby's life this morning, if you've not said, I've, I'm, I'm dead to myself, I can't defeat my sin, I feel that tension of sin, no doubt, but I've got to die to myself so that Jesus can swoop in and win the battle against sin in my life. If you have not done that, that's your step. That's your step. Don't wait. You're just going to keep craving Krispy Kremes and you're just going to get fatter. Don't wait. Number two, you're like, all right, Blake, I hear you, but there's still like a ton of super practical things that come with that. Like, how do I, how do I stop attacking sin and start attaching myself to Jesus as a dad? How do I do that as a mom, as a spouse? What does it look like when we're trying to parent? What does it look like when I'm trying to handle money? Like, how do I do all those things? Like, there's so, like, if sin is, like, undermining everything and it's everywhere, like, how do I really begin to work through that? Like, you've left so many things out, Blake. Yes, I have. <laughs> I'm finite, right? But God's word isn't. And that's why, at the beginning, I said, we're going to read through the book of Proverbs as a church There'll be a link to do it together uh, that we'll post on our social media stuff. There, the plan is in our Uversion app. But it's 31 chapters. It goes perfect for a month. That book is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God to us. You will learn more about being a father and a mother and a spouse. You'll learn more about being a follower of Christ, about how to handle your money. You will learn more about doing that in that book than in any other way that I would recommend. That's number two. Number three, sometimes we have to learn how to be in relationship with God. So you've given your life to Christ, but you've like, that relationship, that walking with Jesus, it's just hard. It's, it's, I, I don't know how to do it all the time. I don't know how to like be alone with myself, nonetheless, Jesus. I want to point you to the one thing that we're doing together as a church. It's going to push you outside of your box, I know. But that's where you got to get to attach yourself to Jesus. Go grab a, a magnet off of the Pledge to Pray board before you leave here, or two. There's multiple days in the week. And grab one of those and go live in the awkwardness of walking down a street 
without a cell phone in your hand, praying, relating to, spending time with Jesus, asking, Lord, will you show me this street like you see this street? Lord, as I walk down this street, will you help me to know and to see what it, like, like myself? Like, will you help me to know who I am as I'm, like, I'm just out here. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm here with you, walking with you down the street. And I would encourage you to step into that awkwardness. There's guides on how to prayer walk on the back tables and over there. And those things will help. They can give you some specific prayers. I know that's like, it's it's uncomfortable for me. I did Kingston Court this week. I think, Griders, you live on Kingston Court, right? I was like, yes, I know somebody who lives here. This is great. But I didn't know anybody else. And I'm like, it's this little bitty cul-de-sac. Everybody can see everybody. And I'm like awkwardly walking around the circle. All right, everybody who's looking out their windows and just saw me doing that probably thinks I'm a total creeper. They're like, 911, yes, there's a, a black Ford Explorer. He just got out and walked around the circle. I don't, that's what's going through my mind, all right? So like, it's hard for all of us. And yet, the beauty of it was is that I come to the end and I snap a picture of Kingston Court and it hit me like, man, King. Like the Lord wants, like he wants to be the king of every heart on Kingston Court. Like he wants that more than I could ever want that for any of them. And I'm like, all right, Lord, now I know why I'm here. Like that one prayer, that's it. And Lord, thank you for showing me that you want to be the king of my heart too. So go, go outside, relate to Christ, attach yourself to Jesus and watch as he eliminates the sin. Watch as that tension of of being a good person and doing the right thing begins to fade into just this love and adoration and desire to be with your Lord and your Savior. Man, Jesus wants to rescue you from what's wrecking you. It's probably a small step he's asking you to take today. But could you do one of those three? Follow the Lord in baptism. Lean in and read from his word, the book of Proverbs with us this month. Pledge to pray. We set a goal to pray uh, every street in Shelbyville. Uh, and we're trying to track that with social media. It's really cool to see what the Lord's doing and some of those things. And uh, I'm just invite you to be a part of that. Today, as the band comes back and as we sing, <clears throat> my hope is that the Spirit would be working in your life. I know that he's here among us. I I pray that he would be working in your life to give you the courage to do the thing that he's already called you to do. He's already asked you to take some kind of next step. I'm praying now that he would give you the courage to do what he's called you to. If you know that baptism is your next step, I'm going to be in the starting point room, and I'd love to answer questions, Um, just pray with you, figure out what that might look like. Um, obviously the Bible reading thing and the pledge to pray, you guys know what you need to do on that. But in this moment of worship, we're going to sing. And one of the greatest ways I know to attach ourselves to the Savior is to remember what he did for us on the cross. And we do that every Sunday at Christ Community. We come forward, baptize believers, take a piece of the bread, and dip it in the juice, and we remember his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And we remember that. Because it helps us to attach ourselves to him. As we attach ourselves to him, he takes away our sin. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your one and only Son. We come through all of this, and, and sometimes we just, man, like we overlook the good, good Father that gave up more than, than what many of us can even begin to think about. And so, God, I just pray that, I pray that each person that is here this morning, I pray that you would call them out. Call them out of their comfort zones. Call them out of the chair they're sitting. And I pray that you would uh, call them into the love and the mercy and, and the purpose that you have for their life. Holy Spirit, uh, give courage and boldness to each person here as they consider what next steps they are to take. Father, uh, give us a heart for worship in this moment. May we just sing to you and give ourselves to you in abandon. Thank you, Jesus for the freedom to do that. Thank you, God, for the law that shows us we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.